Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, second doses of the COVID vaccine could be given out sooner than expected. It's all about getting a, uh, as many Canadians as possible vaccinated with, uh, with the first dose. And certainly based on, uh, you know, what, uh, what uh, planning has been done to date and, and the actual uh, stability of the shipments from Pfizer, uh, I think uh, it's in hand in terms uh, of uh, being able to provide uh, uh, the Canadians then with their second dose. While some parts of the country still have high case counts, Others talk of reopening. You know, we're all really tired, so the the chance that there is um, optimism on the horizon that things could be almost normal, um, I think people might be grabbing onto that uh, for some hope. And Katie Telford will appear before a defense committee looking into sexual misconduct in the military. Ms. Telford not only failed to inform the Prime Minister about a serious sexual misconduct allegation, She went on to orchestrate a cover-up to hide the truth from the Prime Minister and from Canadians. It's Friday, May the 7th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Mark. So let's talk about vaccines. And we heard yesterday that it's possible, and I think this is something that a lot of people have been hoping for for some time, that we might see an accelerated timetable for some people for the second vaccine and that we might be uh, we might be able to get to the end of this tunnel uh, a little earlier than expected. What's the latest on that in terms of how we're procuring vaccines, uh, how soon they're getting here and how soon they will be administered? What are you hearing? lot of numbers. Yeah. I'm not going to give you state <laughs> secrets. Uh, the government, actually, the federal government actually had a press conference on Thursday and basically announced not just for people waiting for their second dose, but for, even for the first dose, you might sure. get it a lot faster than you thought. Um, Major General Danny Sautin, who's leading the national vaccination distribution effort, um, had a press conference along with Dr. New. Uh, he's, of course, the Deputy Chief Public Health Officer. And they basically informed Canadians that they are getting um, an accelerated timetable for the doses that they are expecting. So things are actually coming faster than they had originally anticipated, which means that more people will be able to get vaccinated sooner. Um, basically, the numbers look like right now is that uh, this month we'll be getting 2 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine every single week. And as of May 16th, we'll be getting a million Moderna doses. And then there's still uh, that um, 655,000 doses of AstraZeneca that are coming through the COVAX initiative, which I remember talking to you about. Um, So that's coming as well. And so um, Major General Baltay says that's approximately 25 million doses just by the end of May. And then in June, Pfizer bumps up its deliveries to 2.4 million doses a week. So, um, you know, we were looking at a scenario where we could possibly have uh, a normal-ish summer. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's a lot of doses, uh, obviously. That's that's, that's, a, yeah. that's a lot of doses. Yeah. And, it, it you know, we saw this week... Um, well, Alberta on Thursday announced there was 100,000 people had booked uh, appointments to get their vaccines, that they're soon going to be opening vaccination for those uh, over the age of 12, which Health Canada this week said um, they agree that that was safe. Um, Ontario and Quebec are opening vaccine appointments for anyone over the age of 18 this month. 
Um, we even saw in Saskatchewan, um, Premier Mo announced basically Saskatchewan's reopening plan. Um, yeah. And it's based on the number of people who are vaccinated. So if there is 70% of adults over 40 vaccinated, you know, it's the phase one. And if then it's all the way down to 70% of those over the age of 18. And um, we heard Premier, Premier Kenny in Alberta say this week, too, I don't remember if it was uh, during his Facebook kind of town hall or if it was during the press conference, but that he's looking at Saskatchewan's uh, model of possibly, you know, uh, having a reopening planned according to the number of people who are actually vaccinated. So things are looking up, even though we keep getting really terrible news. And there's a lot of unknowns, the Brazilian variant, the Indian variant, and what that could mean, uh, vaccination efforts. So, but, um, yeah, so let's talk a little more about the reopening plans in different provinces. And of course, every jurisdiction is kind of at a different place in this. But there's been a lot of scrutiny on Ontario and Alberta, where the numbers of cases have been higher recently. And there's been criticism of the governments in those provinces for the 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 lack of action and the decisions that have been taken. And then, as you said, you have Saskatchewan, which is talking about reopening. So what's your sense of of where we stand on all of that and and some of the some of the political decisions and political consequences that arise from all of that? Well, it's a very different picture across the federation. And you know, even though Nova Scotia is grappling with um, you know, case counts that they were that they were hoping not to see uh, just last month, um you know, it's nowhere what we're seeing in Alberta, for example, where on Thursday, I think it's Thursday, they announced an um, 11% positivity rate, which is so high. You remember when they were talking about they were hoping to get the positive the positivity rate below one and leading the charts in North America? We really have a very, very different picture across the country, but it explains why in Saskatchewan, the case, uh, the premier is more optimistic in Quebec. The premier is very optimistic, Premier Legault, about reopening and the numbers not being what we're seeing in Ontario, just uh, just across the river. In Ontario, we saw this week um, Premier Ford start releasing, can I call them attack ads, against the federal government, uh, trying to deflect from criticism about his own government's handling of the pandemic in this third wave, uh, blaming the federal government uh, for the increased case counts in Ontario, saying it was basically the fault of the borders, urging uh, Justin Trudeau's government to impose tougher restrictions so that there isn't a fourth wave. Um, We saw in the House of Commons, actually, the Conservatives kind of repeat that line, suggesting that if there's a fourth wave, it's uh, it's the Liberals' fourth wave or Justin Trudeau's fourth wave. Um, So the the picture is different uh, across across the country. And in some cases, I think, uh, to use Premier Mo's example of, re- of a reopening plan, I think it gives people some optimism and perhaps helps people uh, continue to follow social distancing guidelines and mask wearing and uh, lockdown measures because, you know, we're all really tired. So the, the chance that there is um, optimism on the horizon that things could be almost normal um i think people you know people might be grabbing onto that uh for some hope all right let's talk about what's going to happen today uh the prime minister's chief of staff katie telford who of course uh has been the target of opposition criticism and calls for the prime minister to fire her 
Uh, she has offered to appear before the House of Commons Defense Committee uh, as part of the review that's happening there into sexual misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces. So what do you expect to happen when Katie Telford <laughs> speaks? This afternoon, yeah, I think it caught the, well, it caught the opposition off guard Thursday evening when uh, the Liberals announced this, uh, you know, basically leaked it to every single news outlet that um, Ms. Telford would be uh, offering herself up, basically. Um, the the Conservatives had, had basically expected um, to push this motion through. They had asked for her to come to committee. The Liberals had been filibustering at committee. Earlier this week, we saw the chair of the Defence Committee cancel the meeting at the last minute. Um, the Conservatives complained about this. Why were why was she doing this? Um, and then to have this kind of like 11th hour complete reversal uh, of Ms. Telford saying, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go and appear at committee uh, to talk about this. The big question the opposition wants answered is, did she tell the Prime Minister if the allegation around surrounding that Mr. Sajjan had received about General Vance was that uh, sexual in nature? The Prime Minister has insisted that nobody in his office knew that this was a Me Too-type allegation. But Elder Marquez, who used to be a former senior advisor in the Prime Minister's office, testified at the Defence Committee earlier that he had been tasked, either by Telford or an assistant, to pass the allegation um, that Mr. Sa- that Minister Sajjan had received to bureau- senior bureaucrats in the PCO so they could investigate. And we know from the emails uh, that were released to the committee from the PCO that um, at least one bureaucrat talks about the allegation being uh, of sexual nature. So, um, you know, who knew what and when? Is the Prime Minister Was the Prime Minister really kept in the dark? And if so, why? So that's basically what the opposition wants answered today. Yeah. And uh, I know that there's there's an inquiry that's happening into this now, led by Louise Orbour, and the, the government has been trying to steer the Defence Committee away from this line of inquiry. So uh, do you have any sense of why there's been a change in, in the strategy there? I suspect, frankly, it's because the minister has been so terrible in responding to this crisis. On Thursday, um, Hardzi Chajan, in question period, told Parliament that, and he's been repeating this line um, for several weeks, that politicians should never be involved in investigations. You know, he repeated this a similar line when talking about, you know, why did General Vance get a promotion, uh, a pay increase? Uh, he said that, it, you know, he had nothing to do with that. Well, if he has nothing to do with any of these things, why is he even there? You know, certainly um, it can't be left to bureaucrats to decide whether or not an investigation should be launched into the the actual acting general, uh, somebody at the political level would have to say, yeah, we think this is worthy of investigation. Um, and so the the complete lack of ministerial accountability, uh, the lack of being able to answer any questions, Mr. Sajjan has insisted in television interviews over the weekend that it didn't matter whether or not the allegation was sexual in nature. Um, so I think that basically... Ms. Telford is there to uh, answer the questions the Prime Minister doesn't seem to want to answer and answer the questions in a way that is clear, that doesn't keep adding fuel to the fire in the way that, uh, unfortunately, Minister Sajjan has been handling this, this issue from the beginning. 
All right, Althea, we'll see what happens later today. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. That's CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. It is unfortunate, but not surprising. Uh, to see conservatives uh, playing extremely aggressive partisan games with this issue. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At National News Watch, Don Lenahan and Andrew Balfour consider accountability in the Vance affair. They write, While everyone agrees that the affair raises an accountability issue, there is little agreement on whose accountability is in question. The defense minister, the prime minister's chief of staff, or Justin Trudeau. The opposition parties are determined to push accountability as far up the chain as they can. They say they are just following the facts. But facts don't really speak for themselves. It depends on how they are interpreted, and there's always a lens through which we view them. Often the real debate is over which lens is the right one, and that's exactly the issue here. In an editorial, the Toronto Star writes that Canada should get off the fence and help get vaccines to the whole world. The Star writes, None of us are truly safe until all of us are safe. So far, though, rich countries have been focused almost entirely on the needs of their own populations. They've kept scarce vaccine supplies for themselves and left most of the world, the poorer part, with the leftovers. Canada should join the Biden administration in supporting a temporary waiver of patent protections on vaccines, because these are extraordinary times, and we won't get through them without extraordinary solutions. In the Ottawa Citizen, Andrew McDougall argues, Justin Trudeau is too weak to fire four cabinet ministers who need to go. McDougall writes, Patty Haidu, Harjit Sajjan, Bill Blair, and Stephen Gilboa should be lingering on the back benches, earning a grunt's pay, not taking car and driver to the ministerial buffet. Everywhere you look, ministerial incompetence abounds. If the prime minister had any sense, he'd chop them all and bring in reinforcements before they further wound his government. With an election potentially in the offing, Trudeau should be removing problems, not adding to them. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. MPs on the House of Commons Canadian Heritage Committee will focus again today on the government's controversial bill changing the Broadcasting Act. As CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, last-minute changes to the bill, which were intended to make social media giants contribute more to Canadian culture content, have blown up in the face of the Trudeau government and have the Heritage Minister promising changes. Mark, this afternoon, MPs on the committee will hear from senior officials from the Canadian Heritage Department. Opposition MPs especially will want to know what the Heritage Minister, Stephen Guibault, is going to do to fix Bill C-10. The bill aims to bring social media giants like Facebook and YouTube under the Broadcasting Act, which sets standards for Canadian content and contributions to funds for Canadian productions, which all other traditional media are subject to. Now, most everyone was all right with that until the Liberals introduced a change which would also include what's called user-produced content. And that's like the things you or I might post on YouTube or elsewhere. That caused an explosion of opposition by people concerned that the changes could possibly mean that ordinary Canadians' postings might come under scrutiny and regulation. Minister Guibault has promised to change his changes to make it, quote, crystal clear that only professional content producers would be regulated. 
So the question is, Mark, whether we'll get any more clarity at committee today on what exactly the minister is proposing to soothe people's fears. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will address Canadians on the COVID-19 situation and speak to the media. Later on, he will meet virtually with the small, urban Greater Toronto and Hamilton area mayors. He will then virtually meet with staff from Langley Community Services Society in Langley, British Columbia, to discuss mental health as part of Mental Health Week. The Deputy Prime Minister will virtually attend question period. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at an event hosted by the Prince George Chamber of Commerce. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will speak at the virtual kickoff of celebrations for the 50th anniversary of Canada-Germany cooperation in science, technology and innovation. The Senate Committee on Aboriginal Peoples will hear from Justice Minister David Lametti as part of a pre-study of Bill C-15. And in Sherbrooke, Quebec, Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will hold a virtual news conference to speak about recreational and sports infrastructure in the region. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, May the 7th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns on Monday morning. Have a great weekend.